Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. One in two Canadians are expected to be diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime. One in four are expected to die. It is the leading cause of death for Canadians. However, on the brighter side, cancer deaths have actually decreased. It is a disease that affects all of us in some capacity, somebody that we know, a family member. And in the U.S., cancer care expenditures are now actually surpassing the $1.5 billion range. Much of that has to do with treatments and adopted standard of care. The medical aspect is one thing, but what about everything else that goes with it? There are a range of issues to discuss, like understanding diagnosis, how to prepare for the side effects of treatment, how to talk to your family, how to handle leaving work or returning to work, how to prepare for end of life, and the questions that you need to be asking your doctors, navigating the healthcare system. And this is where cancer coaching comes into play. And that is the subject for today's podcast. So joining me from the MapleSoft Cancer Center is cancer coach Patty Barrett Robiard. I'd like to welcome everyone to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And of course, for more information, you can always head to extensionmarketing.com. Patty, so nice to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Leanne. Okay, this is going to be an interesting topic of discussion. And I think what's interesting is that it will affect so many people in some capacity at some point in their life. Right. The numbers are huge. And most of us uh, know someone who's had cancer or have had experience with cancer ourselves or our loved ones. Yes. It's friends, neighbors. Yeah. I I find that now. I don't know. Maybe is it as I'm getting older, but definitely (laughs) the statistics hit me a little bit, a little bit harder. When you say cancer coach, when someone asks you what you do, are they often scratching their head or is there more information, more awareness now of what is available? Well, it's a fairly new service. We've been doing it since 2011, so it's still pretty new and still people, even if they've heard of it, they often don't quite get it. Like, what does it mean or how does it work? So we do spend a bit of time explaining that to people. So I'd be sort of happy to do that. Absolutely. Okay. So there is that question. You're at a dinner table and someone's like, Patty, what is it that you do? What is that elevator pitch that you give them? So the elevator pitch we give. So first of all, we always start is that when someone's diagnosed with cancer, or if their loved one is someone in their family or that they love has a diagnosis of cancer, it's life-changing. And it often stops you in your tracks. It's not something you expected. People feel uh, overwhelmed. They feel like they've lost control. All of a sudden, their life has changed and they don't know how to get it back. So they feel so stressed and overwhelmed. And so what cancer coaching does, what we decided at the Ottawa Regional Cancer Foundation is we wanted to work with people and support them through that. Um, And so how cancer coaching is, is that the person with cancer or their loved one, we also support caregivers, 
Um, Arash with a cancer coach. And cancer coaches are uh, health professionals who have a background in oncology, but also trained in coaching and working with people. And what we do is we, we meet with the person, we figure out how has this impacted them, and we really focus on them as a person and what matters to them. Also really take time to get to know them and explore their own strengths and things that they have. And together we come up with a plan of steps and actions that they can take to help move them forward and so that they feel like they can take their life back, that they can get a bit more control or still have quality of life and do the things that are important to him despite having a diagnosis of cancer. It's interesting because I had a, a family member that was recently um, going through testing and they hadn't quite gotten the diagnosis yeah. yet. Uh, and I mentioned to them, I said, you know, should this evolve? I think a great place would be for you to head to the Maple Soft Center to mm -hmm. look into cancer coaching to be able to navigate through. And I was surprised that they were like, really, what is that? Mm -hmm. And so you think that we've done a good job of letting people know, but mm -hmm. once I started to say what she could expect from mm -hmm. the center, she was like, really, this is actually, this is real. This is available. Right. And do you get that response? Like people are overwhelmed, even knowing that something like this could be available to them. Right. Exactly. So they often, as you said, they're not quite sure how it could work or how it can help. So what we would say to them is call us, go on our website and, and let us know or speak to one of us, one of our, us as coaches. And we really, as coaches, the first thing we do is listen and sort of say, okay, what's happening here? How is this um, affecting you? Because we know everybody's different and it's very personalized. Um, so someone, you know, I could see three people diagnosed with breast cancer, for example, and how it's impacting them or what's important to them in this moment could be completely different. And that's why cancer coaching always starts with the person and what matters to them. When you talk about the variation of mm -hmm. the patients that are coming in, I would think that the same is for the, the cancer coaches them, themselves as to how they ended up in this aspect mm -hmm. of medicine or care. You have like 30 years working in nursing. Mm -hmm. What was the draw for you into, into nursing originally and then into making the shift to being part of the cancer coaching system? Okay, into nursing originally. That's a long time ago. It is, but yeah, I find that there's there's yeah. a reason for yeah. it. I think um, what drew me into nursing originally, um, I, you know, just like all people, you want to make a difference in the world. You want to do something that is helpful. Um, also things you find interesting. And I think uh, I did find it really interesting health and how you work with that and information about diseases and treatments and all that thing was very interesting at the time and uh, wanted to do something. And I also really... Always really liked meeting people, knowing their stories, you know, and uh, all of that stuff. So really wanted to do have a job that I worked with people and uh, could make a difference, but also get to know them, you know, all of that. So people you were social. You had good side. I have I, a feeling you had really good bedside manner. I think so. Because <laughs> not everybody, yeah. not everybody does. I, you know, yeah. I, so yeah, I loved, uh, yeah, just working with people and getting to know them. And yeah, so that really drew me in. I did spend most of my career has been in community health. So a little bit different, you know, people think of nursing as being in the hospital and all that. And I have done a, some of that, but I really liked uh, being in the community because it, when you do community health nursing, you really really get to see people in their own setting, in their homes. You really do. You see their families. You really get to know them as a whole person. 
um, not just their disease. Uh, so you have to work with all of that while you're still um, sort of delivering uh, nursing care. So uh, I, I always love that part. And I think that's eventually what drew me to coaching and cancer coaching, because again, we really look first at the person um, and how has this impacted them? But I also love the, the holistic uh, um, aspect that we bring into it, um, that we get to, you know, and we know that there's lots of different strategies that help people cope better with cancer. And I love talking about all those things and exploring those and reminding people of all of those tools and things. So whether you're talking about nutrition or whether you're talking about uh, exercise or stress management, um, all those healthy behaviors and that we get to talk a lot about. And I think they're very important and uh, really can be helpful. I think something that you mentioned when you were going into patients' homes mm -hmm. uh, and dealing with their illness that mm -hmm. you often saw them for, or people see them for the illness and not for the person. Mm -hmm. Are we guilty of that as a society that we see a person based on what they're suffering or what they're sick mm -hmm. with? I think that can be, uh, you know, it's a very different if you see someone, they come to your place and they're, and you're there for a very specific focus. So when they go in for their cancer, like they get great care and there's wonderful, wonderful people who really care and working so diligently to support them at, say, the cancer center or whatever. But the overwhelming numbers, they're coming into their, that center. They're there for a specific purpose to talk about your diagnosis, your test results, what's the treatment. It's very short time. It's very rushed and it's highly stressful and lots of information. So there isn't really a lot of time there to even... You're talking about when a patient goes into the doctor's office. Right. Okay. Yeah. So a patient goes into the doctor's office, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a scheduled appointment. They've scheduled got... That doctor's got 15 minutes with you, 20 minutes with, you know, if they're lucky. Yeah. If they're lucky, you've got 15 to 20 mm -hmm. minutes for this mm -hmm. doctor to be able mm -hmm. to tell you a life-changing, right. terrifying diagnosis. Right. With that comes, I, with that, at that moment is where the patient, the family needs to say, okay, once we leave this office, that's when the call is being made to MapleSoft because that's when the work needs to start. So in some cases, what we like to say with coaching okay. is you, people come when it's the best time for them. So we often see people when they're newly diagnosed. Sometimes we see them before they've seen anybody. They've just been told by their family doctors, okay, that there's something here, there's cancer, and you're now booked to see a surgeon or to see an oncologist. Sometimes they'll call us right then. And, and it, in, in that case, we might be coaching them on what does all this mean? What, you know, they might want information about what potentially could be happening all of that case sometimes it's just the stress and they're really uh really trying to i haven't slept since i've heard this it's overwhelming and so sometimes they're coming they just need someone to talk to to say help me through this um, so we often, we will see people then there's, we have a good percentage, but sometimes we don't see people until they're further along treatment and now they're dealing with side effects and, and all of that and sort of man, still managing, uh, their life. Cause that's the thing that, yeah, because you have a diagnosis of cancer, you still have the rest of your life. And that's a hard thing, uh, for people. You know, I'm, I work with a lot of, uh, women with breast cancers, for example, so, you know, I, I'm thinking of a couple on my caseload. They ha had full-time jobs. 
they have children, <laughs> they often have aging parents, uh, you know, they have to take their kids to hockey and all those, trying to keep their life uh, in order while making these decisions and while going through treatment. And so that's often sometimes when we see them, it just becomes too overwhelming and they don't know how to, you know, how they can keep going with this. Um, do you mind taking us through the stages then? Because people are coming to you at different stages mm -hmm. of when they feel the need that a mm -hmm. cancer coach is available. But I was looking through some of the work that you do because for me, um, I would be more stressed about the paperwork than I would be about the physical activity. Right. For me, looking at any of the paperwork and navigating the healthcare system oh, or, okay. you know, like there are certain things that are going to stress the patient out more so yes. than anybody else. Right. For me, it would be there's paperwork to be done. I don't even want to look at it, but tell me I need to go eat healthy and I'm fine. You're fine. Right. But for someone else, they're like, oh, I'm fine with paperwork. I, I deal with paperwork all day. Yes. I just don't want to have to go in the kitchen and make different kind Absolutely. of food. Right. We're all dealing with very different Yes, and we bring Issues. different skill sets. Mm -hmm. So I have clients who are scientists or are highly educated. So when they come and see me, they have done all their own research. They have they know good websites. They know good information. They do not meet, need any support from me around treatment decisions or anything like that. But what they might need help with is they're really scared and what are some stress management or I, I, I'm, you know, this treatment starting and how do I talk to my kids? Cause I know I'm going to lose my hair. You know, they've been told that I'm going to lose my hair. I'm going to be sick. Uh, you know, I'm going to be tired. What should I tell my kids so that they're not scared and that they can still be, have a, be light and have a great child, like not be spending their time worried. So how can I make them, you know, talk to them? So that's for those people, we might be talking about that. Or they might be saying, okay, I do want to get in better shape because I know this is going to be an ordeal. So can we work on some kind of physical activity? But then there are people that for sure, this is a whole new world for them. You know, even they've never been sick a day in their life. They're in a career that is completely unrelated to healthcare or research or science or anything. And they are just overwhelmed about what does this even mean? You know, and what, what, what should I expect and how can I help with? So for those, it's a lot more informational and how to, uh, how to find, you know, they're Googling and then freaking out at what they're Googling, right? Right. Because I mean, sometimes the Google machine is very the scary. worst enemy. And I mean, I'm the sure worst. you've had that. You come, Absolutely. people come in with like worst case scenarios over Absolutely. everything and, and you ask them where they got this and they go, yeah. well, I, I Googled yeah. it. Right. So one of the things we work on with a lot is becoming more health literate. Like if you have a cancer diagnosis, it's really important to really improve your health literacy. So knowing what is a good way, because we really do, although we can say, you know, the internet bad, a lot of bad information, actually most of the helpful information is also on there. And so people need to learn how to um, assess that and, and know to have some go-to sites so that if side effects come up or things that, that, that they know, this is a reliable website, this is good information. Um, and so once they learn those skills, and again, they can be very independent. So do you have those websites for your patients that would be dealing with different forms of cancer that you know the right websites for them to go 
look at? Yeah, well, there's, first of all, there's hundreds and hundreds of websites, so I can't say we know them all, mm-hmm. but we certainly can work with people on how themselves can, rec- they can recognize what is a good, what are the components of a good website. We certainly have a repertoire that we share mm-hmm. of websites for good cancer information, and we, sh- we will share those with people, absolutely. But then we also will have that discussion, you know, if they see other sites or whatever, because there could be other sites that are good. Um, but how do you assess this? How do you know this is this is a site that might be, would, would have reliable information? So we will so that they're comfortable just doing that kind of stuff on their own. So the goal is, um, you know, that they become more empowered, more knowledgeable, and and feel better. Again, that piece of being able to manage their their illness again and feeling less overwhelmed, more in control. Right. So that's the goal with coaching. The one thing you mentioned and you brought up the kids, and Mm -hmm. I know that there are programs that are available Mm -hmm. to children of parents who are Mm -hmm. dealing with cancer. How important was that right off the beginning and at the start to have the extended programs? Yeah, those kind of programs, that program you're speaking about is our CLIMB program that's running right now. It's just, I think there's one more week. We run it about three or four times a year. And it is, as you said, for p- children whose parents or sometimes grandparents, if they're close, but they have a loved one who has a diagnosis of cancer. So it's a really uh, great program. And uh, because those kids, what we know about kids, um, and that's often a lot of things we coach around with parents or how, you know, how, what kind of information they don't, they don't, you don't want to give them, overwhelm them with information. It's how much or what should I be saying? So there's lots of good resources around that. But we do know that kids are very smart and very intuitive. So they know when something's going on <laughs> and that they're impacted by it. They worry, even if they're not telling you that they're scared they're worried. And so that program is designed to um, let them hang out with other kids who also are dealing with that kind of worry that their peers are not likely. Probably other kids in their class or their friends don't have a loved one with cancer. And so it's hard to share that or um, to, uh, to feel less alone with that. So, but it's done through play and crafts and really great activities. Um, and it's a I, program that the, uh, the, the two people we have that lead it are trained in so that they can help kids um, learn how, they really learn how to express their emotions in a healthy way. I would think that the classes being offered to children between the ages of, you know, four and eight would be very different than that between nine and 13 or right now they don't we don't do it for four (laughs) there has to be a certain so so i think it starts it's uh, it starts at uh, the minimum would be six but i think that preferred ages i think they start anywhere six to seven and it goes up to um about 13 and then we have one designed for a sort of teen program uh, two also. We have a harder time getting the teens in though. So that one does not run very often. We would love to run it more often. They're a hard group to get in. But that seven to 13, that's where we uh, always, we can get the numbers for that. And, uh, and it's a really good program. So the kids are offered their program. You have the patient caregivers coming in. Are they ever done separately like that? You have spouses that you have support groups or that there's communities that are being built out of the Maple Soft Center when you, that it 
it continues to expand outwards. Right. So we we have run a number of programs in the past and we're sort of looking at that too. So we've done caregiver workshops so we'll bring caregivers in specifically. We're sort of a hub for a lot of different groups. So we offer the space at our, our MapleSoft building uh, free for, for a multitude of sort of cancer-specific groups. So although we really like to focus on the whole person and not say, oh, you're a breast cancer or you're a prostate cancer. We do know that people like to connect uh, with people who have the same cancer. So for example, the bladder cancer support group meets there, the brain tumor support group meets there once a month, the melanoma group. We have a whole list of about 20 groups that meet there. And so that's a way for people to connect. And we also have some groups um, that are peer-led that have gone, people who have gone through coaching. So there are some peer groups that there's a drop-in group on Wednesday and people can just drop into that. And it's sort of led by people who've gone through our programs in the past. We have somebody leading meditation once a week, again, peer-led. And we have another social group that meets. So different, we're kind of like, there's all, all different sort of opportunities to sort of connect with other people at our center besides doing the one-on-one -on -one coaching. So I've been through the center. It's mm -hmm. beautiful. There's so mm -hmm. much, there's definitely those different mm -hmm. spaces. So I can see where you have the meeting, but I have been in the, in the area where it feels like it could be transferred into a classroom. And then I've been into the kitchen area where I know nice. a lot of kitchen demos and a lot of uh, workshops have been done there. Mm -hmm. So when you're meeting with a patient and they seem overwhelmed by the physical health aspect of how to better take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. What are you going through? What What would you say right now to someone who hasn't been to the center, who probably is in need of can't, of coaching, mm -hmm. as to how they need to shift other aspects of their life to be a better patient, to have a better chance of beating this? Better outcomes. This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They are a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally, as I've been using the extension marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. Well, again, we know that there's lots of things, and that's the things that people often, when they get a diagnosis of cancer, often a lot of the good habits they might have had often go, because they're so overwhelmed, and it's just appointments and all that. Like, we'll often hear, um, you know, when I'm talking to someone, oh, yeah, I used to go to the gym, or I used to go for walks every day or run, and uh, since my cancer diagnosis, I haven't done anything. Um, or, you know, they used to do things like meditate or they used to go out with friends and do like had a lot of really great activities in their lives, hobbies and stuff. And it all stopped when they got a diagnosis of cancer. And so one of the things we will, if that's something they're wanting to work on, uh, we will remind them about how important all of those things are for our health. And that, you know, part of the reason they're feeling so stressed and overwhelmed is yes, they have a cancer diagnosis and everything related to that, but they also aren't exercising anymore and they're not going out with friends or they're not meditating or they're not eating very well. And so we sometimes can't control the cancer part of it, but if we could get them back doing some walks or going to the gym or doing something to manage their stress, they might find they can cope with the cancer piece a lot better. 
how much of, of it, how much are you trying to deal with the stress so that you're minimizing stress so that they can focus on the healing right. or of the beating, you know? Yeah. I, the beating? Like, the be, like <laughs> trying to beat the cancer, right? Like we talk okay. about beating the cancer. Yeah. Um, but when your system is overloaded and we, mm-hmm. we know internally when it's stressed, it, it has a harder time doing that. Absolutely. So that's something we will often work on. So that's one of the biggest things people come through, you know, things like, uh, stress, anxiety, mood, you know, just feeling uh, fearful, uh, all of that. And all those t- things take a lot of energy out of you. If you're constantly feeling in a state of stress, a lot of energy is being used that could be going to uh, deal with your cancer. <laughs> like, you know, so so we will s- talk to them and explore, are there some strategies that could work for you? So again, it's we're never telling people, okay, you, you're feeling this, you should start meditating every day or you should go for to the gym or to walk we explore with them well, what have they done before that's worked or what might they be interested in and in adding into their lives and then with coaching the good thing is we're very we get very specific well how could you make that happen given all that's going on in your life right now how could that work? What could what could make that happen? Because it's nice to say, yeah, well, we all know there's huge, huge benefits to exercise right before treatment, in treatment, post-treatment. If there's one thing you could do, it's probably exercise. But even people without cancer don't exercise <laughs> a lot of times, right? So how do you make that fit? So that's where coaching will get. If that's something they want to work on, we'll get very specific. How could you make that work for you? So what time of day, you know, we'll look at their calendar and their week and where do you have little bits of time? When do you have the most energy in your day? What do you like to do? You know, so people will say, oh, I know I should go to the gym or, oh, I should do this. So if we're hearing a lot of shoulds and we're like, okay, but what do you actually like to do? There's a motivational factor or an accountability factor. Yeah. So we work, what motivates you? So for some, it is just getting, going for a walk just to be outside. For some, it is going to the gym with a friend or something like that, you know? So we'll look at, well, what will get you moving and and, uh, what will help? Do you need to buy a few more exercise clothes? Just something as simple as that so you have more things to wear and less worry about laundry. Sometimes it's really simple. But we'll work with them to come up a plan that they feel confident that they can do and that they're willing to kind of commit to. And then we'll check in with them again, and you know, depending on what's going on, a little bit down the road. So that's really if they're trying to make sort of those lifestyle changes. We'll, we'll work on stuff like that. But we really focus on what they want to do and what would be most helpful for them. I think what I was interested in, too, when I, when I was looking at this checklist of, mm-hmm. of the things that you're offering them... Mm-hmm. Employment, mm-hmm. work, bosses, yes. um, sick days, mm-hmm. appointments, mm-hmm. you know, how long can you stay in the workforce while mm-hmm. undergoing treatment? When is the time to say, I need mm-hmm. to take a break? Maneuvering this, I would think, is incredibly difficult also. You could right. have the world's best boss right. and it's still going to be, you know, really issues hard. Of hard. So how do you take people through that process or what are some of the tips you have for that? So again, it's very individual, but the truth is for most people, if they're going through, if they're having surgery and chemo and radiation, there's definitely going to be some time off work. 
that, and that's very uh, usual. There are some people who like to work right through it and all of that. So, and and we would support. You know, we it's it's everyone's different. So uh, we, we'd work at well if that's what you're wanting to do. What are some things that could make that? And you know, it's it's managing energy, thinking about times a day. You might have to reduce your work schedule, all of that kind of thing. But a lot of people do end up taking a, a chunk of time off in the in the in the middle or when they're going through treatment. That would be, I would say, more the norm. Um, if they can. <laughs> How do they go about this discussion? Is there then paperwork? Uh, things that have to be filled out, l- not worrying about loss of job. I mean, there, yes. there's so much, right? Like, well, yes. if I go now, someone's going to replace me. Will I have my job when I return? Yeah, no, people like, have, yes, absolutely. And so people, I mean, it actually, the process is, I mean, hopefully in most workplaces, working with your HR people, like you do have rights and all of that. So uh, people, you know, often will start with their sick benefits. And then in most cases, they might need to go to long-term disability for a certain amount of time. And it's not unusual for cancer that people will use uh, sick benefits and, and go to the, that's, um, so uh, insurance companies and HR are used to that <laughs> in most cases, unless it's a really small company, mm-hmm. but any company of any size will have been through that before. So, we, you know, people, we will guide them through that, but often their own HR, their own managers, we ha- we talk to them about having that discussions with them. I think for most people, more, it's more of a challenge getting back into the workplace and we spend actually more time in the uh getting making that decision when am I ready to go back and how do I do that given that I'm in many cases still dealing with a lot of side effects so fatigue is the number one biggest side effect that people who've gone through treatment feel with cancer and it's huge and it can last for quite a long time and it's a different fatigue than people who have not had cancer it's not just I'm tired because I'm busy and all of that it's a very um, I haven't had it (laughs) because I do not have cancer but I have I have worked with many many people with it so it can be really challenging um, people sometimes experience something called brain fog, where their their ability to concentrate and focus and remember things is impacted. And that's an, a very real side effect of cancer. It's called cancer-related brain fog. So if you can impact your ability to work, if you used to be multitasking and dealing with all kinds of problems, you have to make quick decisions, you're dealing, you're responsible for uh, staff or other people, and your brain is a lot slower or you forget things or you have to do things differently, that can be a big issue. I would think that it would be frustrating and mm-hmm. um, heartbreaking for people who are used to being quick thinking and Very, managing, yes. you know, so it's not so much am I ready, to, but am I ready to be perceived a little bit differently, mm-hmm. uh, understanding that their role in the workplace is going to have shifted a little bit while Mm -hmm. all of this went on. So there's that aspect of those discussions with the cancer coach to say, okay, I went back and it's not what I, it's not what I remember. To start, we start to start that conversation well before you're planning to go back (laughs) so that you have a really good plan in place. And we spend a lot, a lot of coaching can be around return to work. So people will talk to that because treatment often has a, um, like a sort of a plan, right? So they kind of know, well, I'm going to be due. Okay, I had my surgery. Not all are like this, but a, a, a fairly common example, say for breast cancer, is I've had my surgery, then I'm going to go through a certain many weeks or months of chemo and then radiation and then recover from all that. And so they're looking to sort of at the end of that, maybe a, a couple months down the road after that. 
of going back to work. So in those cases, we're having those discussions, hopefully uh, well ahead of that. And they often do a gradual return to work. There has to be a discussion with their managers and that on changes. Um, we, there are strategies to help with brain fog that will work with people. There are strategies to help manage fatigue. How, so what are some of those, on, if you don't mind? Um, so fatigue when, and brain fog. So when particularly in fatigue, uh, people are surprised. Number one, again, is exercise. <laughs> as, as tired as, as you feel. As tired as they are. Uh, the number one well-researched uh, response to cancer-related fatigue uh, is, is exercise. And so that's one thing we'll often work with on people. Uh, again, looking at nutrition and uh water consumption and all of so dietary things can help with fatigue. Um, looking at some kind of mindfulness, meditate, like stress management techniques so that you're not wasting as much of your energy with, with stress. Well, we can, that's another option to look at. Um, and, um, there's, there's others and just really working on um, energy cons con conservation and looking when is your fatigue the worst? When do I have the most fatigue? So really they have to be much more thoughtful about how they use their time and um, saying no to a lot of things that drain their energy. So we have them do a lot of self-reflection. What drains your energy and what adds to your energy? And putting more things in that add to your energy and uh, letting go of things that are really draining on your energy because they only have so much. Which could also be people. And that's a really <laughs> good thing. And we actually really have, we have that. So you have to be a lot more thoughtful when you're dealing with uh, fatigue. Your, t your energy is precious. And so, yes, maybe there are people you spend a lot less time with. That's, or you, that's saying it so politically. Yes. <laughs> maybe you just spend a little less time with them. Right. And, yes. and, but also think of the people that, you know, I often just say that. Who are the people that when they come, you hang out with them, they, ah, you feel great. You feel energized, right? Like you feel, oh, your heart's a little higher. Mm -hmm. You know, so we talk about that and have them think about that. And then we say, spend more time with them. Like <laughs> if you can, mm -hmm. we can't get rid of every person in our life that drains our energy. That's not realistic. But we can be really thoughtful. Maybe I'm not going to see that person this week when I already have a lot of very difficult things happening this week, right? I might mm -hmm. put them off for another week or I might see them at a time where I have more energy, like first thing in the morning or whenever it is for you, so that the impact of them is less draining on me and then I can sort of move on. So, Patty, I can see you're very politically correct in, in, in some of this. Okay, can you give me a, a couple of examples of brain fog and how okay. people are able to maneuver their way through that? Yes, yeah, so brain fog is a very surprising one for a lot of people. Uh, they weren't aware, so they think, what's going on? I'm going I, I crazy. Think, I don't think you'd be upset with me saying this, but Stuntman Stu, who mm -hmm. is very, um, who I worked with in, in broadcasting, mm -hmm. and his job was being really quick on the radio, right? Uh, he could talk a mile a minute. He could make the announcements at the Senators games. Like, he was mm -hmm. quick. And I think the thing that frustrated him the most in coming back was a little sense of this brain fog mm. and that things weren't clicking. He couldn't think as fast, right? which is what he needed for it and Absolutely. what he needs for the job. So that's what we hear. So memory becomes an issue. So they forget things. So like we could have a conversation like, you know, I'll have, and it's self-esteem too. Like I'll have mothers, you know, my, she'll, their kids will say, or she'll say something to her kids and they'll say, mom, you just told us that like 20 minutes ago. Like, you know, so self-esteem, but that quickness that you're talking about with stuntmen's too is very, that back and forth 
uh, we call it working memory, doesn't work as well. So that ability to sort of listen to you and then think of, still hear you, but think about how I want to respond and do that in a quick manner does not work in the same way. So that people, yeah, conversations are harder. It might be that I forgot what you said like a minute ago and it's hard to respond. So conversations, there's sometimes for some people word finding becomes an issue that they can't, it's sort of on the tip of their tongue, but they can't say it in the same way. Um, sp spelling and reading and writing become more difficult. Um, and just concentration, like um, much more distracted, uh, time, they lose a sense of time actually, which can be a problem. So that, you know, they're supposed to be there on, they're just going to go on their computer for half an hour to get some emails done. And th it's this mental pop up that kind of goes away. And, and it could be three hours later, and like, oh my God, I was supposed to be at an appointment, I was supposed to be meeting a friend, all those things. So, so it can be really frustrating for them. Are there certain tips that you give them to work through that? I mean, setting yeah. a timer, you know, we actually I, I'm thinking as you said that, I'm like, okay, but well, set a timer. Absolutely. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and actually, we really work hard with people on using what we call external strategies. And people sometimes are resistant because they think, oh, I got to work my brain. They think that, you know, oh, I don't want to rely too much on timers and other things. But actually, the research shows if we can really set ourselves up for success with really good use of timers and... Um, um, uh, how we use our agenda, our calendar, and our phone, what, what things that we do, that actually can train our brain to work a little different. And it also frees up space because we know that those things are taken care of so that we can concentrate better. Um, so we, we work on people to use timers and external strategies. We also work with people on being more present-minded, which can be really hard, and it seems like a funny concept. But part of the issue is that people aren't getting the information in because they're just, they're stressed, they're trying to do too many things. And so when they're trying to remember things later, they can't remember it. So we have clients really focus on being present-minded, mindfulness, one task at a time, um, before you move on to another one. And it's practice. So we work with them on really doing some skills to practice uh, different techniques to uh, just one task at a time. If someone interrupts you, stop, make a note, do whatever you need to do before you move on to the next one. Um, so we have different strategies. We work with them. Uh, sorry. No, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going right. Cause I'm thinking like the different stages and where they're at. And so we're talking right now and I feel uplifted because I'm talking about a person getting back to work mm -hmm. and I'm talking about all these things that in a sense, you feel like normalcy will mm. eventually come back. Yes. To them, right. Yes. And yet I'm sure that there are many patients that you deal with where mm -hmm. there's the realization that that life that they had been living, they have to mourn it. Absolutely. They have to mourn that because there, there's an uncertainty of, for the future. Absolutely. And is that harder for you? Like as a coach, when you're coaching someone to be able to regain themselves, right. And get back on the field and back into action. And yet understanding it sometimes that that coaching will be about making the most out of the time that they right. have. Absolutely. And I don't know that it's harder. It just depends on the situation and the person and kind of where they're at in that. So it can be challenging, but it can be incredibly inspiring too. So I, yes, I have a number of people on my caseload who are like stage four, we would call stage four cancer, or they know that their cancer is not going to be cured. 
Um, so the good news is there's a lot of hope in that cancer treatments are changing all the time. And so for some of them, it's almost turning into a chronic disease, like other chronic diseases, and they, they will probably live with it for a long time. And so our work, as you said, is how to have the best quality of life and be hopeful and, and all of that while you're doing that. For some of them, they know, okay, I won't, they've only got six months or a, a year or whatever it is. So it's, again, their, their focus is how do I either cope with that news, like stress and emotions around that, or they really want to think, well, making decisions that will give them the best quality of life. So I have a few, uh, a couple of clients in my case, so we're really trying to make treatment decisions because they're being offered chemo uh, as a way to prolong their life, knowing that it's not a cure, but that it will uh, shrink tumors or decrease uh, some symptoms they're having. But there's always side effects of chemo. And there's the fact that you're going to be going to the hospital. In both these cases that I'm the clients I'm thinking with, it's every three weeks. So that every three weeks, you're going to be spending time at the hospital for, you know, and then dealing probably four or five days of feeling not very good from the chemo. So is that where I want to spend my time knowing that it's... Um, I only have a limited time, right? And so, but those are hard decisions to make because they know if they say no, the option is you're moving into just symptom management or some kind of palliative care, right? And family members are often saying, yeah, no, it's worth the time. Go for chemo, go for chemo, right? So it's making those decisions and trying to figure out uh, for them what, what will give them the most, best quality of life. And then also... That, that's a lot of... In those situations, are you listening? Are you guiding as a coach in these situations? Absolutely. You're listening. It's a lot of listening. Um, so, uh, you know, in what, you know, and often what you're, you're hearing, well, what, what, first of all, I'll ask them, well, what does quality of life mean for you? Like, what is that? What do you want to be doing? And so that helps explore, well, what that helps with decision making because, so for one person, I'm thinking of, you know, it was, because she hadn't started treatment yet, she was low energy and having pain and all of that. And so wasn't even without the treatment getting to do some of the things she wanted to do, right? So, um, you know, for her quality of life was she loved to cook and she wanted to do her own shopping and her own cooking, not have other people do it. But she also was very social and, and wanted to be able to spend time with friends. And she also wanted to spend time and be able to go for walks and spend. So those were things that were really important to her, to have time and energy to do that. And so we looked at, would this treatment, was it a possibility that some of that would come back? Would that be worth a try to do that? And so that's the decision that she kind of made. And for her, it was a little bit hard because, you know, they were recommending like almost six months of treatment. And just the thought of that is overwhelming. And that's often when we're working with people, just the thought of chemo for the next six months is overwhelming. So a lot of times we'll work with people to say, well, what about trying it for a couple of times? You don't have to commit to the whole thing, but maybe let's just get through one or two chemos at a time, see if we can work on managing side effects to the best that you can, and seeing if it helps helps you to have some of that quality of life in between. And so I have a few clients, that was sort of the decision that they made, um, to just go forward, at least try it, so that they would feel that they had really given it a try work at managing the side effects to the best they can to see if they could get enough quality of life in between treatments to make it worthwhile. Patty, I'm assuming that you have seen 
over the years, a number of different cases, Mm -hmm. people, personalities, ways of dealing and coping Mm -hmm. with this illness. Um, My brother-in-law is dealing with pancreatic cancer right now. So it hasn't been good. Yeah. Um, But he deals with it with like the most unbelievable, upbeat Mm -hmm. humor, like... It, it was almost like there was like this new added energy, like the mm-hmm. only way that he was going to get above any of this was just to almost embrace it and mm-hmm. just, you know, like there was almost like this positive, like mm-hmm. guiding light. Right. And so I'm wondering with you, like, have you seen based on what medicine is telling you mm-hmm. and based on what how people are dealing and coping that you have seen certain traits or certain things or certain ways people go about it? that you find have been more helpful Mm. because you've seen, you've seen everything I'm assuming by now. Yeah. I I think people who cope better often have good family supports around them and friends and family that are supportive in how they want to be supported. (laughs) Um, I think they often have a connection or some kind of sense of, being part of something bigger than themselves or what, and it's not necessarily that they're religious or anything, but that can help, I see. But to have some kind of being able to just realize, okay, I, I'm, I'm not sure the purpose, but there's, there can be some connection to something bigger than themselves. I think people who have those traits of great sense of humor that can have, have joy or know how to put joy and all of those things in their lives cope better with it. Um, so that have good coping skills in general tend to do better, you know. Um, so we know the things that really can help are um, putting, spending, saving that energy for things that bring you joy and, and knowing what those are, <laughs> you have, know. And have you found that people sometimes have come out of it better? Mm-hmm. Like the transformation at the end. They are. That they're a different a, person, right? They see things differently. They do see. And actually, um, I, 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 we had a course that we did, and it was called, uh, we called Coping with Cancer. So we used to, I used to ask them that question. People often didn't like it, but it prompted a good discussion. But what's, what have, the, have there been any benefits to having cancer for you? I'll always have one or two in the group that see none, none at all. Uh, but most of them will do a whole list of things that, so for, it, it brings clarity, right? What's important in my life? It's a wake up call when you have a cancer diagnosis. So you start to think who, you also get to know who's there for you, right? You find out who are your good friends, who are helpful friends and family. So it, uh, you start to spend time with the people that really are important to you. Um, but it also makes you, um, realize what's important to me now, where do I want to spend my time? So people might uh, decide they're going to spend more time with family and less time at work, or often they make changes in their work. Okay, you know, I didn't like my job, but I put up with it. And I'm realizing, you know, life is short. I'm not doing a job that I don't like. They also become to realize how strong they are and how resilient, and that can change how they feel about it. I had this one woman that she was really great. She said, Before I had cancer, I used to see people with cancer and think, oh my God, that better not happen to me because I am way too weak for that. I would never, I would curl up in a ball and just not handle it. And she got a diagnosis of cancer and she got through it all and is really strong. And she said, I'm so freaking proud of myself. Like, 
she now realized I'm one of those people. I am, I'm a strong person and has really impacted her job and her work. Like she just thinks of herself, realizes I'm not a weak person. I'm actually a pretty strong person. So it, it really sort of helped her that way. Um, so yeah, there can be some benefits. It can be really strengthening of relationships. Uh, it can bring p friends and people closer together. Um, it, it can also be very challenging because it can also go the other way too, that uh, um, relationships that were struggling are probably this, it's so stressful, it may make it even more difficult. So, And the thing is, is that it's not a therapy session. And I saw that, right? Cancer coaching, coaching is, is not, not yeah. it's not therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, you are not going back into, you know, mm -hmm. what happened as a child no. and, and, and breaking Mm -hmm. breaking that down. Mm -hmm. This is about putting things in place Absolutely. to make, to move, make, forward, to move yeah. forward, to make educated decisions, to be able mm -hmm. to move this path forward so that you can mm -hmm. attack this in the best way. And what's interesting is that we're, we've mentioned all these things in these programs, right? That you come in for. And what people don't realize is that there's no, you're, there's no fee. You're not paying for these services. And gosh, I've done enough fundraisers for the, uh, for the Auto Regional Cancer mm -hmm. Foundation to realize that this is fully funded based on fundraising, uh, charity the work. Pro, there's the no, group, yes. any group workshops and programs, there is now a fee for those. I just want to be clear on that. The but additional the, stuff, yes, but the, the, additional. the actual coming coaching in and speaking is free. coaching. Absolutely. It's complimentary. Um, and, uh, we're funded usually for about five hours of coaching per person. It's not a set in stone that they get exactly five hours, but, but again, as you said, it's not counseling, it's not therapy. So it's meant to be really focusing on where do you want to go with this? What do, what do you need? What do you want to be? And how do you want to move forward? So it's really a moving forward uh, action planning. But it's, it's knowing what the needs are going to be. And sometimes okay. I don't think the individual really knows what the needs are because they're so overwhelmed by the situation. Right. But you might say, we're going to need to file. We need these papers done. This is the first step. This is where you're going to go. Dep yeah, this depending is what their needs are. Absolutely. Right. So they often come in and they're all over the place. And one of the things we're good at coaching is just really sort of helping them identify what do we want to work on first? You know, and let, we lay out all, okay, what are all the things that are really stressing you out or that are concerned? We try and lay them all out. And then, okay, we're not going to solve everything today. What's the one or the two that's most important to you now? And what will help you get there? So who do you need to, if it's, if you're saying in terms of papers or figuring out work stuff or that, who do you need to talk to? You know what? So what's the plan? So they always leave with a plan. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes there's a bit of work that I'm going to do. So I'll send them some resources after, but they always have a plan of steps that they're going to take between now and our next appointment. Um, and so it's, again, it's very clear and it's, uh, moving forward and it's a plan they're comfortable with. Like, it's not just me saying you should do this. They, when they leave, it's a plan that they believe they can do. Cause we actually ask those questions. We say to them, how confident do you feel about this? Given all that's going on, is this something that you feel confident you can do? If they're saying, oh, I'm not still not sure. Then we work at it some more so that they leave with a plan that they feel very comfortable. Uh, I've done a number of things with the nutrition and the nutritionists that are there. Oh. And so when you had said, right, even through all of this, the brain fog, the fatigue mm -hmm. and how exercise becomes a, a critical part, 
the eating and we've done so many of the cancer fighting foods yes. and, and so many recipes and foods that are going to benefit is the instruction in there are there where where in there is the coaching because you can't be in their kitchen absolutely not so but we do we, we can if that's an area they want to focus on the coaches are very comfortable again it would be sharing resources learning about reliable websites all of that where you can go to get great recipes we have books that we've vetted things like that so certainly we can provide a lot of information but sometimes again it's just the information's there, but it's coming with the plan to do it. Because a lot of us now know what we should be eating, right. but we're still not eating it, right? So the coaching could be around the plan of, okay, where do you want to make an improvement? And, and we really we recommend don't try and change everything all at once, you know, especially people with cancer that are told no sugar, become vegetarian, all this kind of stuff. And it's overwhelming at a time that's already overwhelming. So we will work with them on that again, that plan of, okay, what, so for some people it's just improving breakfast. And so it might be just having uh, smoothies or just, I'm going to start by having a, a really good and we'll, uh, we'll share recipes with them smoothie to start the day versus stopping at a drive through and getting one of those breakfast sandwiches. So sometimes it's just that change and I'm going to drink more water. And sometimes it's as simple as that. And from there, they can start to making uh, more healthy plans. But we're not going to change all their diet all the time. It wasn't happening before this. <laughs> it was it's not going to It's and not going to happen overnight. And there's, and there's too much to, to be able to be coping with. Once someone is thinking they want to make the call, how, how does it actually work? Is it really picking up the phone and calling the Maple Soft Center and saying... It is. Or you can go on our website, mm -hmm. www.ottawacancer.ca. The other thing we haven't touched on and, and I just want to be yeah. clear too, is we do offer it in person at the Maple Soft Center. Um, uh, but we also now have some satellite offices. So I, there's two of us that coach in Canada. So two days a week, you can get coaching in Canada. You can get coaching in Orleans. We have a satellite office there and we have a, a coach in Winchester. So in person, you can go to different parts of the city to get coaching. But we also now do video um video coaching uh, or virtual coaching and we also can coach on the phone so sometimes for people it's very hard for them to get in because they're sick or they're tired or they have multiple appointments so we can go we can get out to them so so that, that has been a change really that you have them. seen um mm -hmm. over time that listening to patients saying what was working and what wasn't is right. saying we needed satellite offices. We need video conferencing. Yes. People can't get can't to the center. Or so I this, live in so you, Perth. Right. I have, I, I just saw, I have a new client that will be coming like from Perth, like to get to the Alta Vista site mm -hmm. is that's far. So she will come and see me in Canada, which is a lot closer. Uh, she may eventually, we might just do video chatting too. So, but that really opens up the, yeah, the video chatting is wonderful. So again, we're trying to make it easier for people, more accessible. But the best thing, ottawacancer.ca. Uh, ottawacancer. Or they can call. And how long to get in? Or well, you know, we, we, I would assume with a lot of what they've been dealing with, there's a, a waiting list, and there's you know, there's not a huge waiting list. Um, we do pride ourselves so far. If you register, we will call you within two days of getting that registered to set you up with a coach. Depending on your schedule and the coach's schedule, we usually can get people in within the week. 
Wow. Sometimes quicker, like we triage a bit too. We do have clients that will call in and just, they are just, I need to talk to someone right now or today, or can you get me in? So we will just figure out the best available coach. If nothing else, we'll do a phone call just to get people started and to just help dial things down a bit, you know, so they feel, okay, I can make it to that appointment. So, um, you know, we really do try and respond. We're not like meaning to be an emergency service, like, but, but if they really just need to talk to someone just because they're newly diagnosed or the side effects have gotten so bad, or they're just trying to figure it out, um, we, we will see them more quickly, but normally it's in within mm-hmm. a week or so. You, know? you, you can tell there's the nursing background as soon as you say, mm-hmm. we'll deal with it like a triage, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that, yeah. the, that the people that are behind the scenes have mm-hmm. dealt with medicine and, and a lot of this and very different areas that they're bringing to the table. We've had someone drive in because we don't encourage that for the most part (laughs) because, but she just got horrible. She was a caregiver. And that's the other thing I need to stress more. We also really support caregivers too, right? So she just got bad news at the hospital, saw her sign as she was driving by and just pulled in. And, uh, and it was happened to be me. They just, the receptionist said, okay, can you come out? And, just talked with her there on the spot and then we signed her up for coaching mm-hmm. and she came back and all of that. But that, that sometimes happens too, but right. Um, but not ideal. Too. No, I get it. Uh, and <laughs> not but the, the ideal way we want to do but it. The but the caregiver aspect too, is that this huge. applies to those that are directly affected. So don't just think of this as it's only the cancer patient. Absolutely. It is really the efforts based on, on everyone that's affected by it. I would say about 30, I think it's 30 to 35% of our caseloads are caregivers. Sometimes they come in together Sometimes we just get the caregiver because perhaps the person with cancer is just uh, totally immersed in treatments and all that. They they can't even do another appointment or they're actually not doing too badly. And sometimes the caregiver is, you know, I've had caregivers who are trying to hold on to their own job. They've now taken over whatever things that person with cancer did around the house. They might have an aging parent. They're also dealing with the kids, all that kind of stuff. So, and they're sad that, you know, all the fears that the person with cancer has, they have those, they're afraid too, you know? So, so absolutely welcome caregivers and uh, we give a lot of support to them. 35%, 35%, like, you know, that, I think that's, it's 30 to 35 is, is what we generally makes run. Sense, right. Mm-hmm. This is, this is people going through this experience, mm-hmm. this life experience together. I appreciate you sharing so much of the information, at least for people who weren't familiar with all the work that's being done. What is there through the cancer coaching at MapleSoft and uh, a program funded by the Outer Regional Cancer Foundation. Mm-hmm. So thank you for the work that you do. I'm sure in asking this has left a big impact on you, the work that you do. Oh, absolutely. You know, and people think, wow, that must be so hard. And, and it is. There are times when it's really very, it can be quite challenging. Um, but it's also really inspiring. Like people, like I, I have clients on my caseload who are going to be doing chemo every three weeks for the rest of their lives and the courage that that takes to go and do that. And they still have quite joyful, meaningful lives. Like we'll talk about what's happening around all of that and they'll tell me about things they're doing and like it's quite inspiring, I think, the courage that they do. And it's also can be quite fun too. We have a lot of laughter. There's you hear, you know, I have my other fellow coaches around me. You hear a lot of laughter coming out of those coaching suites too, you know? Um, because people are uh resilient and they're mostly kind and funny and uh, so it's really a privilege to for most to go to be with them for that you know and for the ones who are really struggling you know you want to be there to help them also you know 
Some great parting words right there. I like that. That's inspiring, though, Mm -hmm. to know what it can be done. Thank you so much, Patty. I do have to wrap that, this edition of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. And please, as we have been doing, please continue to like, share, subscribe, let people know about the podcast. And please, if you know someone who's in need, uh, hopefully this kind of triggered something and you've, uh, you've called them to say, hey, there's a program that we think you should check out. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.